Habakkuk this morning. If you have had the chance to find your way there, the table of contents is your friend uh, to find the book of Habakkuk in your Bible. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 1. We will start in verse 12. We'll read down through the end of chapter 2 or parts of chapter 2 this morning as we continue to look through this book of Habakkuk. While you're, you're getting there, I might take just another minute or two to get there. Uh, Habakkuk is kind of tucked away there. Uh, while you're getting there, as we were singing earlier about Jesus and for Jesus and to his glory, I was reminded of um, this this week. My daughter asked me, she said, Dad, or she texted me, she said, Dad, uh, uh, why can Jesus not work in a jewelry store? And I said, Baby, I don't know why. She said, Because he breaks every chain. He breaks every chain. <laughs> so uh, he does indeed do that, and we're thankful uh, for that, that he does that for us, not literally, but our literal chains, but our uh, spiritual chains. And, and Habakkuk's got some chains as he is kind of coming into God's presence. You know, the book of Habakkuk is written by this prophet who was sent with a very specific mission of God, and, and uh, he, he's having some trouble. He's struggling. He is seeing the world around him, and he's looking at how things are, and he's beginning to wonder where God is and when God will show up and what God will do. And I want to talk to you this morning on, uh, for a few minutes on, on the idea of the significance of silence. Okay, the significance of silence as we look through this and, and uh, understand that when we go through seasons of difficulty, when we face valleys, uh, we, we face um, temptation to really turn inward almost exclusively inward. Now, understand, I, I think when we walk through valleys and we go through seasons of suffering that, that we certainly need to take time for us. We, we need to take time to, to listen to God and to hear God speak to us, and we need to take time to heal, and we need to take time to, to make it through and just to think through what we are experiencing. But if we're not careful what can happen as we go through those seasons of difficulty, as we go through those moments where life gets tough, if we're not careful, we can completely fold in on ourselves we completely, can completely make it about us. We can completely shut off everything around us. We can forget the purpose for which God has called us as we go through those seasons. And as we look at Habakkuk, I think that, that he is facing that. And I think we'll see God say some things today that, that will hopefully encourage us as we sit in silence before him. But remember, as we looked at last week, kind of where we're, we were are this week, is that Habakkuk uh, Habakkuk's looking at everything around him. He's saying, God, I don't understand why all this is going on. Why are your people acting like this? We're going through a difficult time. And God said, fine, I am going to uh, help. I'm going to step in. I'm going to send a foreign army. I'm going to send a group. They're called the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. I'm going to send them in, and they are going to execute judgment on my people for their sin. Habakkuk said, God, I'm not sure I like that plan. God, I don't know that that is the best route that we ought to take with this. And Habakkuk and God are engaged in this conversation. And that's where we pick up today in Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 12, where Habakkuk looks to God. This is his second complaint to God. And he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for a 
reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? I tell you, this is, <coughs> excuse me, this is a bold claim by Habakkuk. I mean, this is on the heels of God saying to Habakkuk that he's going to send this enemy to execute judgment, and Habakkuk says, we shall not die. His tone here is more of a statement of question than it is fact. Uh, Habakkuk, it's kind of like Lee Corso when he does his, his predictions on Saturday morning. Someone will say, I think this team's going to win the ball game, and Lee Corso will go, not so fast, my friend. That's kind of Habakkuk's posture. Habakkuk saying to God, not so fast, my God. You're saying you're going to do this. You're saying you're going to use, use these people. This can't happen. Habakkuk says, God, we are your people. God, we are on your side. Sure, we've sinned, but the Babylonians are bigger sinners than we are. Does that sound familiar to you? Well, yeah, God, I know that I've sinned, but at least I'm not like so-and-so. Some followers of Jesus think today, I can do whatever I want as, as long as I believe in God, as long as I have a relationship with Jesus, nothing bad can happen to me. Habakkuk was wrong in that thinking, and so are you and I if we believe the same thing. God, no doubt about it, God will always forgive your sin, but that doesn't mean that your sin doesn't have consequences. And Habakkuk, is Instead of comparison shopping, Habakkuk did some comparison sinning. He said in verse 13, uh, man, uh, why do you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than, than he? He, Habakkuk, and we, we can't compare ourselves to the Babylonians around us, the worst people that we can find. We must compare ourselves to Jesus. Habakkuk's struggle continues in verse 14 where he says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a, with a hook. And when he says he, he's talking about the, the, the wicked people, the wicked foe. He brings them all up uh, with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, the people he oppresses, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk is saying, God, how can you let this happen? How can you let the bad guys succeed? And they're taking credit for their success while the good guys, they aren't achieving any success and they sometimes suffer in poverty and shame. Remember, there is a difference in having questions for God. There is a difference in questioning God and in accusing God. Habakkuk is struggling and he is frustrated, so he goes to God with these questions. And may I just remind you this morning that if you are struggling and if you are frustrated and if you have questions, the best thing you can do is grab your Bible, take it to God in prayer, be honest, be sincere, and sit before the Lord as you wait for him to answer. This is what Habakkuk does. In fact, if you look at how chapter 2 opens, Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at the watchpost. 
and station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. God, hear my questions. God, you know the answers. I'm going to wait patiently until you tell me what next step I should take, until you tell me what words I should speak, until you tell me what's going to happen. And when you speak, God, I will accept it in faith, and I will move forward. So God speaks. And the Lord answered me, verse 2, write the vision Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, write down specifically what I'm about to tell you. Then hand it to a messenger so he may run who reads it. Hand it to a messenger and tell that messenger to deliver this message. And God says, and we'll see in a second, God says, there will be consequences for sin. Those consequences won't be felt right away. There's going to be a delay. Last week we talked about God's delay in that, in, in that time period in which we're waiting. That is the grace that's in God's delay. But God is saying, rest assured, both my people and those Babylonians who, who trust in themselves, they're going to endure the consequences for their sin. God is giving them time and space to repent. But that time is drawing to a conclusion. So comes the theme verse of the book of Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Behold, his soul, the proud soul, the Babylon's he's talking about, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Remember a couple of weeks ago I told you from this verse that there are basically two kinds of people who live on this earth. There are people who trust in themselves. They have a heart of pride. They are puffed up and there are those who trust in God through faith. The just shall lead, by, shall live by faith. And look at what he says in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed, this arrogant man's greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Proud people, prideful people, when, when pride enters your life, you will always be unhappy. You will always be unsatisfied because stuff doesn't lead to happiness or satisfaction. He's talking in verse 5 about the one who is proud, about the one who is greedy, and greed like that grave never has to. Let me ask you this, and you don't have to answer out loud, because if you do, we become the Catholic Church, we do confession, I guess, if you do answer out loud, so think about it in your, in your heart and spirit. Have you ever thought, well, if I would just get blank, fill in the blank. If I could just have that, then I'd be happy, then I'd be satisfied, and you get whatever it is in that blank, and for about two hours, you're okay, but the third hour, you want more. See, it never satisfies. The, the, the heart of those who are greedy, that heart is never satisfied. 
It doesn't last because we always want more. Stuff comes from the earth. Satisfaction comes from God. Your satisfaction will never be settled by what's in your hands. Your satisfaction is settled by what is in your heart. See, if you're puffed up like the Babylonians were, if you're, you're proud, you'll never be satisfied until you are God, until you own everything that there is, and until everything is at your beck and call. But guess what? You're never going to get to that status, so you're always going to be dissatisfied. You're always going to be unhappy. And so God zeroes in on these people that he's using, these Babylonians that he's using to execute judgment against his people. But God tells Habakkuk, don't worry, they're going to receive the consequences of their sin as well. And God then goes through a series of woes. Just a hint, whenever you see the word woe in Scripture spoken by God, it's never a good thing. <laughs> Whenever God says, whoa, you better watch out because he's about to lower down the hammer. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to look through all of these. There are five woes that God speaks to the Babylonians. But to, just to kind of to, to summarize, every single one of their sins, every sin that was going to earn them the judgment of God, it revolved around the fact that they were self-centered people. It revolved around the fact that they were arrogant, that they were prideful. It revolved around the fact that they always wanted more than what they had. He gave them a woe because they would use ungodly means to amass all of this wealth. They would use others to make themselves rich. They, they would do things to satisfy their fleshly, lustful desire. He gives a woe to them because they were worshiping idols instead of God. The common denominator among all of those woes in chapter 2 is pride. All sin comes from pride, and pride always leads to to idolatry. And that's important for us to understand in the context of our suffering, because as we suffer, as I said before, as we suffer, we will naturally drift toward pride. We will begin to try to make ourselves the center of the world. We need to be ministered to. We need to have God walk with us, but we face the temptation in our suffering especially to make it all about us. I want you to understand this morning that all of your your life belongs to God, and you are right now, you are using either what God has given you in a way that is idolatrous, or you're using it in a way that is worshipful. All of life is to be lived for the glory of God. We are all guilty as charged. Our context might be different, but our hearts are like the hearts of the people of God. Our hearts are like the hearts of the Babylonians in Habakkuk's day. The question then revolves about what do we do about those hearts. This is where morality falls short. Look, I can tell you to be better. I can tell you to do gooder. I just made that a word. I could tell you to do all of these things. I could tell you all the right things to do, but morality falls short because change begins from the inside out. We don't need to be better people. We don't need to be gooder people. We need to be new people. We need someone who will transform us from the inside out. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. 
In chapter 2 and verse 14, God speaking, God says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole point of God's patience and purpose in Habakkuk is for his name, God's name, and his fame, and his reputation to go out across the earth as water covers the land so that people will know that Jesus is God, so people will know that he came to earth to save sinners from their sin so that they need not face judgment before God's throne, but they can embrace the judgment already experienced on their behalf by Jesus from the cross. God's desire is for the knowledge of his glory to fill this earth and he wants his knowledge to spread through his people. God loves us. God has saved us and then God uses us as a conduit through which the good news of his glory passes on to someone else and God will use our lives in the valleys and up on the mountaintops. Understand in this context of Habakkuk, he's suffering. God is not going to wait Habakkuk's suffering. God is going to use Habakkuk's struggle to further his name and his fame. And may I say to you today that I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing, but I do know that God will never waste a painful moment in your life. I know that God desires to never let a season of, of, of struggle go to where he is not glorified and he doesn't use it for your good. God can use your story no matter how long or dark the chapter might be right now, God can use your story for his fame and for his glory. But our temptation as we struggle is to make it our story. And Habakkuk's reminding us that God's desire, even in this difficult circumstance he is, is for his glory to pass over the earth like the seas and water. You see, all of us face the same temptation and we fall into the same trap of pride that the Babylonians fell into, that God's people fell onto. And the purpose of our lives becomes about what we can get instead of what God can use us to give to a world that is hurting. God is confronting me today. God's confronting us today with the same thing that he confronted the people in Habakkuk's day, and that is this. The reality is, life is not about us. It's about God. The earth and the sun doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around God. Life's not about us. Again, I'm not negating. I don't mean to downplay ourselves. We need God's presence. We need God's people as we walk through suffering. But I'm telling you, the temptation is to make it all about us when life really is all about God. We were not designed to be consumers who shop for what we want from God and then take our marbles and go somewhere else when we don't get what we want. We were designed by our Creator to be contributors to the mission of God. And that's why God speaks these words, the last word in chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. 
Let all the earth keep what? Silence. Silence. The significance. I waited till the end, but I got there. The significance of silence. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God called Habakkuk to a season of silence because there was nothing left for Habakkuk to say except to trust God. May I say to you this morning that I firmly believe most of us don't need more information. We need more faith. We don't need to know anything more than we already know. We simply need to trust what we already know to be true about God. Habakkuk is called to sit before God in silence. Because you know what can't happen? You can't listen to God while you listen to yourself at the same time. As talented as some of y'all are, (laughs) it's impossible to listen to the voice of God unless you're silent. And so God calls Habakkuk to this season of silence so that in that silence, God could reorient Habakkuk's life. You see, Habakkuk, like all of us, sometimes our life gets a little out of kilter. Sometimes our priorities get a little misaligned. And the way that we get back on track with God is not by us making a list of 12 things to do. The way that we get back in in alignment with God is to realize that the Lord is in his holy temple Let all the earth keep silence before him. Habakkuk sat before God in silence while God reoriented his life. And that might be just what God wants to do in your life today. Maybe God would call you to sit in silence for just a moment and ask him to recalibrate your life. So let me phrase it to you this way, and we'll try to put a bow on it this morning. As you look at your life, do you see anything that may be misaligned? As you look at your life, would the Spirit of God maybe speak to your heart, and maybe has he showed you that you've made life a little bit more about you than you've made it about him? Are there some priorities that are misaligned? And and you know that God has not given his proper place. Hey, I love for you to come to church and worship every Sunday. But just the mere fact of walking in these doors, that's not what gets us realigned. It's when we sit in the presence. But you know what happens? When we sit in silence before God, we get a sense of just how big he is. And just how powerful he can move in our lives. So here's what I want us to do this morning. In just a second, our instrumentalist will will be be playing under our time of commitment here. And in in just a second, I'm just going to invite you to sit in silence for just a a, a couple minutes for, for 120 seconds. To simply sit in silence before God. Don't speak anything to him, just listen to what he may speak to your heart. Think about this God 
who's in his holy temple. Just crowd out everything else around you. And just for 120 seconds, think about how great God is. And see if at the end of that 120 seconds, you won't realize how small you and your problems in life are. I'm not negating any suffering. Please don't hear me saying that. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how big a problem you face. God is bigger. But sometimes the only way we sense his bigness is by sitting in silence before him. So we're going to sit in silence for just two minutes before God. At the end of that two minutes that you sit in silence before God, I pray that God will place something upon your heart, the, the business you need to take care of with him today. And I'll pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand and express our Thanks to God through song. And this altar will be open for you if you want to pray. You can pray where you are as well in your pew. I don't know what God is calling you to do today. My only ask has, is, always will be to put your yes on the table. To whatever table God's put before you. So would you bow with me for just these two minutes and just sit in silence before our great God. Father God, you are in your holy temple. And as you will teach us after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that holy temple, that's us. You are in us. Let all the earth keep silence before you. Sometimes, God, we just need to block out the clutter to get a clearer picture of how big you are. And when we sit in that silence, your spirit is always faithful to reveal to us the misalignment that's in our lives. 
I trust that your Holy Spirit has done just that in just these few minutes that we have sat in silence before you. And now, God, we prepare to speak to you. We prepare to make a commitment to you. Whatever you reveal to our hearts in those two minutes, help us to be obedient, to follow through with what you've just called us to do. In those two minutes, you may have revealed to the heart of someone here that they need to have a relationship with you, that they've never placed faith in Jesus. They're trusting in their good works. They're trusting what they can do. And they realize today that they need to forsake trust in themselves and cry out to you to be their Savior. You may have spoken to hearts this morning. You may have revealed priorities that are misaligned. And our application today is to take those things that are above you, those idols in our hearts, and to put you back at the center of our affection. Lord, I don't know exactly what you spoke to us today. I only know what you spoke to my heart. But I pray that we'd be faithful in this time of commitment respond back to what you have spoken to us. Have your will and your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name.